This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. We set off at six o'clock yesterday morning from New York. Um, very long flight, very tiring, but I think we're all just really happy to finally be here. It's been a long semester studying and trying to get prepared. Every year, a contingent from Fordham Law School's Joseph R. Crowley Program in International Human Rights takes a research trip. This year, the Crowley scholars went to Malawi to look at the effect that the AIDS epidemic is having on women there. Filmmakers Eddie Boyce and Doug Carr went with them. Uh, my name is Edward Boyce, and um, I've been living in New York City for the last eight years. I kind of grew up here from the age of 12. My mom moved to Nova Scotia, Canada, where I would spend the school years and then um, come back to New York City for the summers. Part of the reason that my mom moved to Nova Scotia was she was a student of a Buddhist teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, as were Doug's parents, and uh, that's how we get to know each other as, as young children. Hi, my name's Doug Carr, and uh, I'm a filmmaker. I've been making films for 10 years. Grew up in Paris, France initially, and then spent uh, the next nine years of my life in Canada, um, and recently moved to New York City. And basically, I recently partnered with uh, my good friend Eddie Boyce, and we started a production company called Shopwood Carry Water. I visited Boyce and Carr recently at their office. It's a space in a Lower East Side building that is a warren of artist studios, and I talked to them about their experiences. This morning on Fordham Conversations, we're looking at that film, and we're talking to Boyce and Carr about it. Let's get straight to it. Women's lack of economic power makes them more vulnerable. All the blame on HIV and AIDS, all the burden of HIV, it's left on a woman. I have not seen the level of poverty that I've seen here anywhere else. You will see that I'm in trouble. He took everything. No support to my children. All of these women, what they wanted was to be able to provide for their children. 14% of the total population is estimated to be HIV positive. The president knows how the people are suffering. The government of Malawi considers that to be something like a million orphans in this country. I mean, women have been dying and dying and dying. In 2000, I had an opportunity to move to Africa, to Malawi, to make a documentary on HIV AIDS where I actually moved to the country for nine months and made a film there. We went on spec, but then when we came back, UNAIDS and the National Film Board of Canada paid to finish the film, and it had a nice little run, and, and audiences got to see it a bit. And then uh, six years later, the folks at the Crowley Program, which is now the Leitner Center, invited Eddie and I to go to Malawi with them to make a new film that was a completely new piece that basically traced the project that they do every year, which is a, a mission to a different nation that has human rights issues. And they, this year, chose Malawi to look at how HIV is affecting women in the country. So we went with them and uh, made a film called The Face of AIDS. We spent months studying the link between gender, HIV, AIDS, and human rights, as well as Malawian history and culture. Like going into Malawi, the first thing I noticed was there's one plane that flies into the country a day. 
and we're on it. And we're like 15 people, and there's probably about 20 people on the plane. So it's like that's the extent of the international, you know, like travel that's happening. There's like basically five people and us coming into the country in a given day. So you're immediately struck by like, wow, there's just not much going on here. Not a whole lot of commerce, like how, you know, not a big economy happening. And then, I mean, you know, we found out later, like, you actually get the stats because we were traveling with some people who were very well educated about the country, but, you know, 90% of the people live in rural villages and are essentially, like, living a sustenance existence. So it's just, it's literally like being, it's like time travel. You, you know, you're, you're going by and someone's job on the side of the road is breaking rocks with a hammer to make, you know, big rocks into small rocks. The most obvious thing to say about a country like Malawi is that it is very poor. This seems a banal thing to say, but often everything comes back to that. Extreme poverty is defined as an income of less than one dollar a day. And most people in Malawi actually are lucky if they get anywhere near one dollar a day. Within this problem of poverty and underdevelopment, women have a lack of economic power. So they have very little control over their economic resources or really over their life decisions. They don't have control over the spacing of children, whether or not they're going to have children, the number of children. They can't make decisions about property. They own very little property. The men are in a position of power because they have the money and financial security and the women are not in a position to make demands. A number of the women that we've met with have said that they were faithful to their husbands and they never cheated on their husband and yet they found out that they were HIV positive before their husband did. Times comes for her when she dies, she, she will know that she has left some other things for the kids. We spoke yeah. to hundreds of HIV positive women and story after story uh, they spoke of discrimination and stigma. What's your name? My name is Mary Zulu. Mary Sosten Zulu. Mary's HIV AIDS status increased her vulnerability to land grabbing. They could take her land with impunity, and that's, and that's what they've done. I'm 42 years old. I've got three children, mine, and six for my brother who has died. The garden was belonged to me and my brother after my husband has died. I planted about 430 trees to that garden. And I have 18 trees of mangoes. I was taking care of everything in order to have money, in order to solve the problems in my house. If I can have a garden, I can support the family very well. I started to suffer from tuberculosis in 1999, and that time my husband was dead in 1995. After his review, he says, you have got HIV positive. And I first tell to my son, and that boy says, how can we stay without you, mom? You are going to die now. I say, no, this is not my time to die. Then I started suffering. The chiefs and the owner who sold me that garden says she's going to die. She will never harvest in this garden again. The owner sold the land twice. The problem is that the man who bought that land is a rich man and I'm poor. I've got nothing to support my parents, sons and others. You know the positive one 
I cannot manage everything alone. They have been so poor for so long that they haven't had access to any of the things that basically make a country function. And so when you're looking at HIV and, you know, women in particular and how that affects them, it's on, it's on every level. And I guess I can't, like, I can look to specific examples, but first off, I just want to say that, it, you know, it's in every way. So, and then basically, like, the, sort of the issues that we came up against relating to the poverty stuff were things like one of the big problems there is property grabbing. So you'll have... A woman who is finds out she's HIV positive or not, and her husband is HIV positive and dies. And so if her husband dies, the in-laws, her like family, basically come and clear out the entire house. They just come and like pack everything up and take it away, including, you know, the glass in the windows. Like it's on that level. And so basically this woman who, like chances are, still has, you know, between 2 and 12 children that she's taken care of, could be the neighbor's children or, or, you know, brother's children or whatever, suddenly has zero possessions, a house that doesn't function, and no way to make any money. listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Today on the show, we're talking with Doug Carr and Eddie Boyce about their film, The Face of AIDS, and we're looking at that film as well. The film chronicles the mission of Fordham Law students to Malawi this year to study the disproportionate effect of AIDS on women there. They looked at the link between women's low cultural, social, and economic status and their heightened vulnerability to AIDS. Women make up 58% of the infected population there. Let's hear more now from Boyce and Carr and from the film. One of the opening scenes that I noticed in the movie was right at the beginning that the billboard for coffins. Tell me about that scene and why you put that right where you did we were trying to you know, quickly situate you in the texture of the country by using images that are, you know, kind of abundant there, you know, that, that, that reflected our experience. And, I mean, geez, it's like, you know, every town you go through, there's not like one coffin shop, there's like four or five. And they've got these things like, you know, like latest models, best prices. It's like, you know, it, it's just everywhere. And... And you, you see them like laid out. It sort of has like a you know almost kind of like a like a wild west feel. Where there's like coffins laid outside in front of you know the doors because I mean you know it's just death is so much more prevalent over there um, in in your face and kind of uh, you know, people. I mean, if you see somebody in Malawi in the village areas who's like 50 years old, they're like ancient. You know, it's just like you don't. You don't, you know, I mean, the average life expectancy for women there has fallen to, in the film, it's like, you know, it's under 40 years. It's not much better for men. So, you know, if you make it 10 years past that, you're really, you're really uh, pushing it. And it's not just HIV over there that, 
that can kill you. You know, there's malaria. There's you know just any number of things that that would normally be treated here just aren't treated over there. So yeah, I mean the decision to use that image was really simple. It's like it's almost just like you know you come to New York, you're gonna show a skyscraper shot. Like there, there's just coffin shops everywhere. Just the poverty is was staggering. I mean, I think that was the, the kind of, and it wasn't. It wasn't like I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like we would go around and see people, you know, starving or dying or anything. But you just sort of knew that it's just no, there's not much going on here. There's just no, you know, most people eat like one meal a day, which is by and large this um, ground up corn maize. It's called encima. Uh, which um, is basically ground maize, and they kind of make a porridge of it. And you have that with everything. If you are, like, kind of, you know, having a good day, you'll be able to use some sort of stew with it that maybe has some meat in it. But other than that, it's basically just, like, the maize. And I don't know, on and on and on. It's just, it's like, you sort of, once you, we were there, and we got pretty immersed in the village scene. That's where we spent most of our time. I don't know. I mean, it's just it just really takes it all back to a much more basic human existence, like not a lot of technology involved, you know, people walking everywhere. I don't know, it's a very different culture. Many women are very poor, so when they saw foreigners, they knew that they have got a lot of money. Eh? When they ask them to make sex, they are easy to answer yes, because if I said yes, I can get more money. So they do that sex, no protection, no condom, no what. Because three quarter of women here, they are not working. What you're saying is that because of tourism, there are like foreigners that come mm -hmm. and a lot of women are selling sex, commercial sex. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're saying? That is the very big, big problem here in Malawi. People in the rural areas have virtually no access to any kind of legal resources. So they live under um, a framework of customary law, which is developed and administered by local leaders and is itself very patriarchal. I mean, it was, it's just brutal to be a woman over in, in Malawi. Women have no financial independence. And so from that stems a lot of their, um, that just influences so many of their choices. I mean, prostitution is, uh, you know, rampant in some areas. And, you know, we met, you know, in the film, there's this young woman who speaks very eloquently to the simple reality of, I make this much money. Um, and it's like a staggeringly large sum for uh, Malawians, you know, it's like, you know, put her like in a, you know, <laughs> the top percentile of the income, you know, earners over there. Uh, so that's obviously going to be uh, a temptation, and that, of course, you know, immediately puts you at a huge risk for for contracting HIV over there. There's so many ways that women have it bad. The it starts, you know, even pre, you know, before the HIV epidemic and before even currency or money might have had something to do with it, it's just like this sort of, like the tribal customs over there are very, um, very intense uh, by women's standards. So we heard about these different, heard about this thing called uh, feci, is that what it's called? Yeah, feci. So this, this custom feci, which is basically when a woman, uh, when a young girl, you know, first reaches menstruation, her family 
or maybe the father, I, I don't know, one way or another, they arrange for a man in the village, maybe a neighbor, a friend of the family, just comes and, I mean, it sounded like the way it was described. It's like not exactly rape, but sort of like a kind of understood, you know, it's sort of like, you know, rape by appointment or something like that. And, um, you know, and so that's, you know, so she's not getting to choose that partner or, you know, vet that person for health, you know, concerns. So that's, that's another vector that, you know, puts, puts women at risk over there. Um, you know, let alone a huge sexual rights issue. But, um, so there's that. Uh, the other one is there's widow cleansing. Like the women, uh, we, we heard about, um, it's very common practice that when, uh, when a woman's husband dies, um, they, the village, and often the family, often it's the husband's family, will send over a family member to have sex with her, to, to sort of banish the husband's ghost, is the idea. And again, you know, it's very similar to the, to the other tribal practices, where she doesn't have much say in it, and so there's not, you know, there's no real protection from disease, and, um, you know, on top of the other injuries and insults that that represents. So, I mean, that's another way that women are susceptible to HIV. An important thing that I learned was how little responsibility men take for their sexuality. Again and again, we were told by women that their husbands didn't want to use condoms, they didn't want to be tested. And one of the main reasons nobody wants to use condoms is that they see that as potentially admitting that they might be HIV positive, which then leads to them potentially having fewer partners. If you suspect that your husband uh, has girlfriends, which is almost universally true, when you began to understand about HIV, how it was transmitted, um, and you knew that you were vulnerable to it, could you ask him to use a condom? And the answer almost always was no. How are you today? In the community, if anyone is HIV positive, how are they treated? In most of the times, those who are found HIV positive, uh, like people do not treat them good. They treat them harshly. They don't take that person as a person. Yeah. Do you know how to get tested if any of you wants to get a test? Do you know where to go? Yes. Where do you go? So what medicines do you go and get? We've heard from some people that it's harder to be a girl or a woman in Malawi than it is to be a boy. Do you think that's true? Yes. Yeah. Why is that true? I can say it's because most of the times there are a lot of sexual harassments among girls and that is why they say that most of the girls are treated badly. And do you think that's true? Yeah, it is true. All the girls agree? Yes. <laughs> what about the boys? Is it harder to be a boy or a girl? You know, we're up on stage and asking this packed auditorium that had sort of just conveniently divided itself into the girls on one side and the guys on the other, um, you know, questions about their reality in relation to HIV. The, the young women were very forthcoming and, you know, just sort of gave very good descriptions of the things that we'd been seeing, you know, how hard it is for women, how they're treated poorly, how anybody with HIV is stigmatized, 
how it's harder for women. And uh, yeah, there was sort of a key moment where one of the teachers asked, so would you say it's, it's harder for, for women? And there's a young girl who says, yes, of course it is. It's much harder. You know, just sort of like, duh. You know, like, look around. And then she asked the same question to the boys, and there's just this sort of like dead silence. That was very telling. It's going to take a while for that to change, I think, over there. After we left that gathering with uh, all the children in the auditorium, we went and spoke with the headmaster, and he made it clear that, you know, out of that, out of graduating class of 200 or something, like maybe like less than 10, if they were lucky, would go on to actually go to university. You know, it's just, it's like that opportunity just doesn't really exist for the bulk of the population. They're not going to have a professional career. It just, they just won't. Um, which speaks to how hard it is to kind of make educated changes happen. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. This morning at 7.30 on WFUV, it's Cityscape. When Fordham's Crowley scholars visit a foreign country to look at a particular issue, they work closely with local organizations. In this case, they worked with the Malawian Coalition of Women Living with HIV and AIDS. Daphne Gondway is the founder of that organization. I tested the positive in 1999, and what forced me to go for a test was that that time my husband was sick. His condition was deteriorating day by day. When I talked to him that we should go for a test, in the first place he refused. He said, if you want to go for a test, you can do it on your own. I don't have HIV. He refused, then I said, now what do I do? I just decided that I should just not tell him where we are going. So I picked a taxi and took him on. He asked me, why have you decided that we should come here? He said, we have come here because we want to get tested. Then because we are right there, he couldn't run away, and he was very weak. So we went in and get tested, and we were told that we are both positive. I was fearing that if my friends at school discover that I'm positive, because I, by then I was a secondary school teacher, what would they say about me? If my relatives in the village now, if they know that I'm positive, what are they going to think about me? If the people around me at church, if they discover that I'm positive, what are they going to think about me? I was also fearing death, that if I die today, my husband is sick and is not waking. Who is going to look after my children? I am a woman. I've never gone out with any other man apart from my husband, but here I am. I am positive, and I'm facing a lot of stigma. What about a, a rural woman who is in, right in the village, who has not gone to school? He's facing the same challenges that I'm facing. So I took a stand that I think we should be there to fight for people living with HIV and AIDS. And if we want HIV to end in this country, it is us, the people who have HIV, who has to start that fight. Tisamale, 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 oh yes, oh. Tisamale, 
I, mean, I think for me, the the biggest, the most interesting thing was just the change. You know, the change in six years from going to a place where basically the the situation was pretty desperate. I mean, it, it's still a really tough situation, and and still the like infection rates are ridiculously high, and there, you know, it's HIV is not going anywhere. But you know, the sort of looking at somebody who six years ago would have had a sort of life span from that point on of between one and five years. And then you look at the sort of Lazarus effect um, of seven, suddenly giving someone antiretrovirals and they could be living for another 20 to 30 years. That has a huge impact on the way that people see themselves and see their situations. And that was really palpable for me just coming from interviewing one of the 27 people in the country who had antiretrovirals in, you know, for the last film where he was, um, we had to hide his identity because literally like people would attack him. It's the difference was immense. There are so many issues, but the first one is violence against women. Once a woman tests positive, you meet a lot of violence in the community that we live in, especially in the home with their husbands. Women's rights. When we tell them issues about rights, it's like you are trying to confuse them, especially on sexual and reproductive health. Those rights, they do not know that they have. We also want to advocate for pediatric ARVs because this, it, it is us, the women, who are looking after these children. And if these children do not get the right medication at the hospital, it means that burden of care is seeing, being compiled on the woman. Last year, there were so many cases of rape. So we want the women to know that there's post-exposure, post-laxis. Where can they go and report rape cases? Because most of the women would say, I don't know where to go. Many women would come and say, we are doing this because of poverty, we are doing this because of poverty. Like this time we will be preparing to grow crops sometime in November. So we'd like to find where can these women get fertilizer, not through sex, that is. How do we make sure that these women have access to coupons, access to seeds? Being HIV positive doesn't mean that you cannot be productive. You still have to live on because you are still living. So you have to live. And for you to live, you need to work. You don't have just to sit down and say, I'm HIV positive. Then you start crying, no. But you have to say, I'm HIV positive. Now what next? I have children. What should I do in order to fend for my children? Now coming back it was really interesting to see that like actually people do have you know access to these drugs to some extent and that the like sort of lines of of distribution that everybody in the west were like oh africa's so disorganized you can't give them these drugs because they won't they'll just go to waste they won't be able to like actually use them that was complete bunk and when when you've got a life-saving pill you figure out how to refrigerated even if you don't have a refrigerator you, you figure out ways so that you even if it means you have to walk for nine hours there and back every week you know to the clinic to pick up your ARVs it's like you know it's ridiculous that, that it's kind of insulting that the West would say that so and that that was you know it was nice to see that positive change <laughs> Oh,
From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. You can find out more about the face of AIDS at chopwood.com. And you can find out more about the Crowley Program for International Human Rights at law.fordham.edu slash leitner.htm. The 2007 Crowley delegation was Tracy Higgins, Chi Mbego, Jean-Marie Fenrick, Paolo Galizzi, Anjali Balassingham, Felice Segura, Maria Kuriakos, Gabriel Mass, Catherine Hughes, Carolyn Houston, Doug Goggin-Callahan, Grace Pickering, Evan Leitner, and Jim Leitner. If you missed part of the show today, or if you would like to hear it again, there are a couple different ways to go. It's available as a podcast at WFUV.org, and it's also in our audio archive at the same website. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us. Our address is Fordham Conversations at WFUV.org, and we would, of course, love to hear from you. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful weekend. This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.